Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I am Peter Whittle. Now, as we're speaking in a couple of days' time, in fact, that's really just a matter of hours, isn't it? We will know the result of the 2020 presidential election in the US. Now, it's a bit of a cliche that every election is always the most important you'll ever vote in. But uh, this time, depending on who you talk to, we're either going to be having the salvation of Western civilization or its further destruction. Now, with me to discuss the election and indeed the aftermath, I've got a great uh, team of guests today. First of all, Tim Stanley is the columnist and leader writer for the Daily Telegraph. He's also an author of a, a number of books about American politics and culture. Sarah Elliott is head of Republicans Overseas UK. Oliver Wiseman is the US editor of The Critic magazine, joining us from Washington. And Rafe Hadelman-Koo of the New Culture Forum, historian and commentator. Thank you very, very much for, for coming. Um, I want to start with this point that I mentioned in the introduction. That a few years ago, uh, President Trump made a speech that I thought was one of his best, where he said that the basic question of our time is, does the West have the will to survive? So you are hearing this argument basically about uh, all that stands between us and the decline of our very civilization is Donald Trump. Do you have any truck with that view, Tim? Both sides think it. They're both apocalyptic. Yeah. Trump's people say if Biden wins, that's the end because not only does Trump win, but Kamala Harris wins and also Black Lives Matter and the radical left, Bernie Sanders, socialized medicine, all this sort of thing. But equally, Biden's people say if Trump wins, then that is a damning indictment of America and yeah. it will lose its status in the world and it will lose its moral leadership. It's really interesting how, how both sides have ratcheted it up. You could blame that on Donald Trump, of course. You could say that those speeches he gave back in 2016, they set the tone, they set the stakes uh, for the next four years. You could say that this was all coming down the track a long time before Trump, and Trump was actually the person who articulated what a lot of people were feeling. Mm -hmm. So both sides think it's very bad. I don't know how that will play out, though, because, of course, in the middle, there must be a significant number of independent and moderate voters who don't see things in those terms. And I personally don't see things in those terms. I think Western civilization is, uh, is far more capable of weathering its problems than most people give it credit. And also, I don't think Donald Trump's been as apocalyptically bad a president as some people seem to think. And I don't think Joe Biden is as corrupt or incompetent as some people think. So for many people watching this election who don't feel they have a stake in that particular kind of culture war, it's a bit odd to see people throwing uh, biblical amounts of mud at each other. Do you think it's biblical, Sarah? Biblical? I. I at times it does seem a bit um, apocalyptic, especially yes. when we had 75 cities burnings after George Floyd's death. And, um, you know, you have Republicans are being shouted out of restaurants or Black Lives Matters. Protesters are forcing people to do the fist in the public and pushing them out of restaurants. I mean, this is this is the United States of America, mm -hmm. freedom of speech, freedom of expression. And then you have this Hunter Biden laptop that's appeared uh, from the repair shop that the uh, big tech is suppressing online and on Twitter and um, the New York Post can't get the story out. And, uh, and George Stephanopoulos wouldn't even ask Joe Biden about it in a town hall. I, you you kind of wonder what world you're living in. And so I, I completely agree with Tim that the right 
definitely feels that this is um, on the edge of fascism for the United States, in a sense. And, but the left does as well, because they have two very different and contrasting visions for America. Um, Oliver, you know, d are we sounding sort of well out of sync here? I mean, in the sense that you're on the ground there. We're talking about sort of, you know, very basic choices that uh, people are facing with a, with a slightly apocalyptic air, as Sarah said. Uh, is this something that you recognize? Uh Broadly speaking, yes. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Washington, D.C., and actually the, the infamous clip of the, the force fists in the air was only a couple of blocks away from, from my apartment. So, so you do sort of wonder when you're out for dinner what you're going to be uh, forced to do uh, to stay safe that evening. But um, slightly more seriously, I think to, to, to Tim, Tim's point about um, what this means for the, for the voter that doesn't see it as an existential battle, I think that's really the key question. And I think that part of the reason Trump may come up unstuck on election day is because he's the candidate that seems the more online, seems the more obsessed with the culture war, um, seems the more um, kind of tiring and, and, and so on. And, and Biden, whilst the left very much wants to have that fight, Biden is not that type. And I think that's kind of his central political appeal at the moment is that he is the I don't want to have to think about this everyday candidate, which is quite, I think, a, quite a powerful message in a very tired and sort of enervated um, country. Yes. Rafe, would you uh, agree with that? I mean, there is a sense that Biden just represents kind of what does status quo ante or, or what? Yes, and it's for those moderate voters for whom I think there is an element of Trump fatigue that's in play here. And uh, Biden really offers an opportunity to go back to a more settled world, a world of multilateral engagement, a world, the world of Obama, essentially. Um, despite the fact, of course, that that, given his age, it's, it's, uh, if, if, if anything, there could be more unforeseen turmoil ahead if he does actually become nothing more than an interim president, um, paving the way for uh, the vice president and a more progressive left takeover of, of, of the White House, which could, you know, in, intensify the cultural wars beyond belief. But certainly, I think the moderates. Um, aren't aren't cleaving towards Trump in the way that they would have had it not been for coronavirus, because the economy was good. If, you know, if, look, look back towards February, right? In February, you had Boris Johnson with a stonking majority here, and you had um, Donald Trump in America, and it looked as if they were both secure for years to come. And yeah. uh, the economy was going great. You had a huge amount of um, wage growth in the lowest elements of the American society. You had unemployment at, at its lowest level for, de for decades, particularly amongst, amongst blacks and ethnic minorities. Uh, on all levels, on, it seemed as if you know, people who were moderate could have a reason for voting for Trump. And yet, because of coronavirus and because of his personality in handling coronavirus, it seems as if that's been jettisoned. Isn't there this thing that one hears time and again? I saw a piece by Kate Andrews recently, Inspector, where she basically sort of almost conceded that Trump had done a lot of good things, yes. but that she just couldn't bear him, yes. sort of thing. And that's the key thing. I mean, mm. your, your point about if you take yeah. the metrics of how America was doing at the beginning of this year, you'd line up all those metrics and say Trump is on for a landslide, but he still polled poorly. He still had a high disapproval rate. And really, since about the first week of his time in office, <laughs> since the inauguration, He's been uh, he's been under fifty percent. He's over fifty percent right now. He's at fifty-two. Is, is that Rasmussen? Though? Yes, yes. And that's the thing is that 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 poll some people feel is a little skewed. But either way, 
There is this extraordinary disconnect between the individual things upon which the voters say Trump's not that bad, particularly the economy, and then how they rate him overall. And so if you have any sympathy for Trump's philosophy, it's very frustrating yeah. because some people uh, have been waiting all their lives for a candidate like Trump, have been waiting for Trumpism, for populism. For so, well, for someone who said borders matter, for someone who said okay. the nation state's important, all these sorts of things, cut taxes, deregulate, all that sort of thing. You've been waiting your whole life for someone who's a serious philosophical yeah. conservative. Yeah. And then the guy who it is, is Donald Trump. And he just spends four years insulting everyone, saying things which I think are racist, but other people say are being interpreted as racist. And he just blows this golden opportunity. But, um, Sarah, would you, would you say to the, the idea that Trump is a sort of street fighter and yeah. we need a street fighter? Yeah, exactly. I mean, for the first time, not only did conservatives have actual conservatism in the White House, um, where he marshaled all the conservative think tanks and heads that have been waiting since the Reagan years to come back to the White House mm. to implement mm. this agenda. Mm. Which, by the way, when I was in Washington, D.C. and got my start in politics there, it was the uh, George W. Bush's second term. And he was a complete disappointment to conservatives because he didn't hire the movement. He didn't include the movement in policy. He wouldn't rule out tax increases. Um, he barely touched social issues very finely. He was the compassionate conservative, which scares a fiscal conservative, you know, when you use that word compassionate. So, it, so here we have this guy who's like bringing in Kellyanne Conway and Leonard Leo and, um, and, and Larry Kudlow from the Reagan years. And you're kind of like, wow, this is exciting if you're a movement conservative. And then, um, you know, he, he, he does kind of, you know, his personal life's not conservative. His mouth goes off. It's all a bit frustrating and juggling, but you're getting three Supreme Court justices on the Supreme Court mm -hmm. who are originalists and constructionalists, and they're blocking. You filled Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Mm -hmm. He's worth it, and he's worth putting up with um, the rancor because actually he, he made conservatism offensive. This whole idea of putting together a garden of statues of American mm -hmm. heroes at the same time as they're being tackled in America is just brilliant, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. the, the left just, and you can't look at Donald Trump in a vacuum. You have to look at him compared to his opponent. And, you know, here they are, d the opponent is destroying American history, even Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves. And, and Donald Trump is like, no, I'm not going to put up with that. We're going to memorialize these people. And I'm going to give my Fourth of July speech in front of Mount Rushmore. And I'm, I'm going to be the next American legend. I'm going to beat COVID and be the comeback kid. I'm going to be the legendary story they're going to talk about, just like George Washington's cherry tree. I, you're, you can't talk about American history without talking about me, because yeah, I'm yeah. going to bring America back. And that's what he's doing. And you know what? When you look at the other side, who's hiding in a basement with a mask and is 78 years old, mm. and not even doing rallies, and not even proud to be American, really, that's kind of appealing. I think so. I was absolutely right on that point. Yes. But it goes further still, because you kept saying, I, I, I. Trump isn't a conservative, right? He's, he's had a great conservative record, but he's a Trumpian first and foremost, in the same way that Johnson is not a conservative, really. He's a, he's a Johnsonian. Boy, and Johnson. these are people who essentially want to have power and will be flags in the wind so long as it secures them their mandate and their, their legacy in history. And um, so 
I just like the person as a, as, a, as a, in terms of his personality. I just like the man's personal politics and his personal you know, personal um, backstory in terms of his morality and so forth. But he is the necessary evil because he is actually the vehicle that is enabling us to achieve what we need to achieve. Yeah. I only wish Johnson had a bit more of that chutzpah to actually do something equivalent to that wonderful July the Fourth speech, yeah. which was the speech that we were dying to hear over here yes. over the last few months in terms of standing up for for American values and for America's history and, and completely rebutting the. 1619 project, mm. you know, yes. that America was founded upon slavery and that 1776 is a, is a complete myth. If only we had somebody here to galvanize people who are desperately crying out for that. We saw a glimmer of that in the first few uh, days and weeks when Johnson took over, when he brought in this breath of can about Brexit, and that's completely evaporated. Trump still has that, and yeah. it's that enthusiasm that is actually one of the few ways I can see him actually securing a victory here in terms of the ability that he has to motivate his his core forces to come out because there's there's a lot less enthusiasm for Biden amongst amongst Democrat voters than there is yeah. for Trump and it's that ability because he is a showman. This is a guy who slam dunks people at the WWF Wrestling Federation. Yes, you know onto onto the mat. So he's got that ability. I mean, he brought Clinton's um, victims or sexual victims uh, to the debate the last time. He took he brought mm. last. At the, de the final debate, he brought Hunter Biden's associate, who's now turned on him and has claiming that all the emails and conversations are legitimately Hunter Biden and the big guy is Joe Biden. Um, it, it's, he does know how to play the media. And, you know, you can, I think you can blame Trump for, you know, being in our faces every single day, but I think a lot of onus goes on the media as well. And if the media didn't cover him, as they do, it wouldn't be as much of a problem. And the mm. media is hoping that it is a problem for people. But I, I agree to Tim Stanley's point. This, you know, I, there are a lot of people who do not see the culture wars in America, and they don't no. see it. And and I have family when you say like they this. Don't, who? What are you, who are you talking about? Like American voters who don't see the right and the left oh, really see. going at yeah. it <laughs> on values, mm. and, and they and would what, love a Mitt Romney. And what matters for them is probably the coronavirus. I mean, that, yeah, that, and that's the what coronavirus. this election Dr. Anthony Fauci. That's what this election is really all about. I mean, I, I, and it's been that way since February, and I think it's why he's been losing since February. Um, and the irony being that Trump is thought of by his opponents as a big authoritarian, mm. but actually when this great, genuinely civilizational challenge came along, he turned out to be more libertarian uh, mm. than his critics, because he doesn't actually want to shut down society. Mm -hmm. And now it's taken all this time, all the cultural stuff to slightly recede into the background for that issue to come to the fore, and Americans mm -hmm. have a genuine choice on this matter, mm -hmm. which in Britain we don't. Mm. And the choice is, Joe Biden has essentially said, shut down the economy until we find a cure. Mm. Donald Trump has essentially said, no, we've got to learn to live with it. And, and actually, in a way, that translates uh, the, the uh, existential culture war stuff into real, a real public policy practical debate, mm. uh, which is, do you think when Lamerde hits the fan that you shut everything down and let Big Brother take over? Or do you, in that very old-fashioned conservative libertarian mm. way, say, no, we need to balance mm. being secure against freedom? Mm -hmm. I think it's very right. We've also seen these images, um, Ollie. We've, we've seen images here of, you know, reasonably big Trump rallies and uh, apparently totally empty uh, speeches with Biden or, or with Obama, I think, in supporting him. Uh, obviously just put up, for, as it were, for the cameras. Um, what's, your, what's your view at the moment, Ollie, uh, on, on the relative status of the candidates? I mean, I think that actually, if I remember, uh, Tim... Uh, said at one point that he was sort of didn't think that 
Trump stood a chance, but that you now weren't so sure. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Do you would you go along with that, Ollie? Um, well, I mean, I, rallies. I was at a Trump rally in Florida last week, and you know the energy and um, and kind of excitement at those events is undeniable. Um, but talking to people there, I was I was reminded of sort of eighties uh, labor politicians who who after they lost in nineteen eighty three would say they couldn't understand because, you know, we had bigger crowds and, and you know, or there's that famous line of like, no one I know voted Republican. How could they have won? Um, um, so, you know, I think there's a, I think that the, the energy gap between the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign is is real. Um, but I I suspect that's not I, my my suspicion is that the polls are broadly correct and that Biden is ahead in the race um, and that energy is not necessarily what people are, are looking for. Um, if I could just go back, by the way, to the to the history wars kind of stuff, because I think it's an important point. Um, I agree that Trump has been sort of full-throated in his defense of American values in a way that conservatives are right to be pleased with. I would just say, I think it's worth tempering that a little bit because, um, you know, I think the way to describe the culture wars in America at the moment is basically in terms of massive left-wing overreach. They've decided that, you know, no American president um, pretty much full stop is, is, isn't, isn't a sort of irredeemable racist. And it's not clear to me that Trump is Trump's presence as the, the voice for American values, you know, is, is actually helping make the case for, for those values. Um, I think that many more moderate, many more conventional Republicans would be just as comfortable sticking up for um, for those things, um, probably in a more persuasive and less divisive way. So I just wanted to get that in there on the cultural stuff. Yeah. And on that point about left-wing overreach, I could just say, because I found this so interesting selection, Pete Buttigieg said it first back in August. Joe Biden said it a couple of weeks ago. They both said America is an idea. Mm. This, 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 I found this really fascinating because it goes right back to the heart of what defines nationhood. America is an idea and it's not lived up to that idea. And so history is a slow progress towards getting mm, things better. Mm, mm. That is a classic post-enlightenment liberal mm. view mm. of what a nation state is. It's a political project that has got to match the ideals of its founders. Trump represents the view that a country is where you live. Mm. It's that simple. Mm. It's your home and you support it and you fight for it because it's your home. And I, I just find the tension between those two things has really for me become crystallized in this election. And it's such an interesting choice. But they do represent two very different visions of America. And both, I have to stress, I, I, sorry, you said that you implied that Biden didn't perhaps love his country. I disagree with that. I think there are two completely legitimate different takes on what America is. There's that idea of America, and there's America as a reality and a place. And I, and I think we're really seeing a, a generational conflict between those two. But isn't this the whole problem? In a way, I, think this, I see this as part of the, the culture war, to go back to that. Britain quite often is is oh it's it's just a sort of construct yeah or it's an idea you hear this all the time you you know most people would not dream of saying that about India they wouldn't dream about saying it about Japan or any of these but it seems to be something in the Anglosphere which is essentially undermining the idea of well I would say place you know which yeah is, Japan it, is I, not an idea yes it's a people yes, exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. It, and, it, and it's a people and a geography 
Uh, that's yeah. how Shintoism works. It's, it's all about geography and where you're buried. It's, well, you can't be anywhere. Wasn't it Margaret Thatcher who said America is a philosophy and the, the Britain is history mm. or something like that? Like, I think, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that conservatives would disagree about the idea or mm. the philosophy. Mm. Um, I think it's a, it's a matter of whether we can live with one another who have different ideas. Yes. If we have different philosophies and different religions, and the left is consistently in America showing that they don't want to live with people who have conflicting values and ideas, and who just want to be left alone to homeschool their kids, or go to church, or mosque, or synagogue, yes. Or, yes. And, and, or just run their own business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but just to jump in there, this is the irony, is that that left-wing commitment to the idea of America that keeps shifting. Yeah. So the definition, no, generation yes. by generation, the definition of what it is. So if you take something like civil rights and race back in the 1960s, yeah. it was uh, everyone's equal. Yeah. It's meritocracy. It's yeah. Hubert Humphrey saying, if this ever leads to affirmative action, I will oppose it. Mm. Mm. Then you flip forward a couple of decades more and it's everyone's racist. Mm. Uh, and there's a hierarchy of different identities. So that's the frustrating thing. But that's an inevitable outcome of the very idea of your nation being an idea because reason defeats reason, as de Maistre said. You, you, you can't just commit to an idea because ideas can change mm. and they do and they have I and mean, that's why the constitution is so important yes yeah, and that's yeah. america's anchor as it, a nation it, it restrains its constitution it, absolutely yes. and and yeah. this is why the, when yeah. joe biden can't say if he's going to pack the supreme court or expand it or bring statehood to dc or puerto rico which would then bring more liberal senators to the u.s senate I mean, they are having a fit because they can't win over the American people in a legitimate electoral college election. Mm. And so this is why there's an effort in America right now to, to overthrow the uh, yeah. electoral college. Um, and it's because they are too radical. The reason that there is the old dinosaur Joe Biden as their candidate right now is that they are the, the, the radical establishment so to speak because I think the establishment has become the AOC's and the Ilhan Omar's and a bit of the Bernie Sanders because let's face it Bernie was on his way to winning until South Carolina with Joe is because the, the, the actual more moderate Democratic candidates of Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang who are in the primary they cannot be controlled mm -hmm. they cannot be leveraged Joe Biden's voting has consistently gone left throughout his career and they know that he'll be a rubber stamp for their left-wing policies and many of my friends who again who don't like the culture war who don't see things that way and they don't like Donald Trump they want to vote for Joe Biden but they see Kamala Harris and they go no yeah yeah it's interesting actually because one of the points I you know going way back like when I was a kid doing American politics you know in, in, at, at college is that there was this idea, it was received wisdom, that essentially, in all essentials, the Democrats and the Republicans weren't really that different. It was a matter of yeah. emphasis yep. that, unlike here, because we were in the middle of a huge capitalism versus socialism thing in the summit, that was all settled. That seems to me to have entirely gone. Absolutely, it has. I mean, you had, just, you know, even in the late, late 19, in the 80s, you had, you know, Tip O'Neill would have no problem crossing, yep. the f having a fierce mm. debate in Congress and then going for a drink with his opponents. Um, you know, Jonathan Haidt writes about this a lot, actually, and he says one of the problems in America, in Washington, is that there's no longer any socialising or intermingling. Everybody is, is yep. existing in their own little bubbles, and they don't go to the same school. Their children don't go to the same schools any longer, and that, because of that, you've lost that ability to, to humanise and personalise your opponents. Mm. There's absolutely no, no no mixing at all. 
Um, I think that is that is that is a very real problem. But just to go back to the earlier point that you were saying about why is this an anglosphere mm. uh, issue all the time? This idea of, of of home and place is because Britain and America aren't ethnic constructs, right? That was always yeah. the difference between Japan. Britain was a, co a yeah. concept to unite Scotland and England together, and then you got the idea that whether you were living in Auckland, New Zealand, or in Sydney, or in Vancouver, or in Glasgow, Manchester, you were all equally British yeah. under the crown, you were subjects of the crown. Yeah. America as well was mm. this weird, this great ethnic melting pot. Very unique concepts Britain and America had compared to what you had in Europe. And the problem with the current situation is that this founding idea, you know, the city on the hill that, that America is, is that, as Tim referred to the, to the Enlightenment idea, is that the, the far left don't believe in the Enlightenment any longer. Mm -hmm. There's this idea of, uh, of, <coughs> of relativism about all science and all logic and reason, mm -hmm. and the Enlightenment doesn't exist. And so consequently, the ideals upon which America was founded are no longer accepted or recognized as being valid. In fact, mm -hmm. if anything, they regard this as being intrinsically problematic. Mm -hmm. This is a I mean, this is a huge question, maybe. So, just maybe let, we should be brief. But the things that I imagine that I sense that we all love about America. I mean, you've lived there, Tim, haven't you? I think. Or, On and off, yes. Yes, I, I lived there for five years. You obviously from America, mm. and, and you love America. We kind of love it in its. I feel in a country. Oliver's way. in America. Oh, mm -hmm. and you, you're there, obviously. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I lived in Canada, but there you, you go. Lived in Canada. Oh, there you go. Uh, but North America. It seems to me. I just sometimes wonder whether it is entirely changed. I don't just mean in the sense of Democrats and Republicans, but that the various things that we've always liked about it just seem to be disappearing. Um, and this is just purely a, a, a perception on my part. People used to go to America for certain things, and that was a kind of optimism, all of this, you know, sense of dreaming. Mm. It just doesn't seem to have that. No even though we have a president who is yeah. about dreaming and about... Yeah. But the actual mainstream culture doesn't seem to have that anymore. I, I can say I, I've been going there for about 20 years, yeah. studying it, uh, and I've been going to certain places over those 20 years, so I've gotten to know them very well. And for me, the abiding impression is one of palpable physical decline. Yeah. The country looks poorer than it did 20 years ago. The infrastructure's not been updated. It's a country which has pockets of extraordinary innovation and wealth, like mm. Silicon Valley, but there are large swathes of it, which is how Trump won last time, there are large swathes of it which really genuinely, not only, not only are, but really look and feel left behind. Um, and, and Trump managed to speak to that, but of course he, he played upon a grievance. Mm. He didn't play upon the old American idea of pack up your old troubles and the old kit bag. I know it's an English idea, but he didn't, he, didn't pack, he didn't play upon the pioneer spirit, which is the, the Ronald Reagan approach to capitalism and freedom. He played really upon grievance politics. Mm. And so he hasn't corrected that decline because in a way he, he sort of stoked the emotions that were the consequence of it. Um, Oli, do you sense decline? I mean, do you, is this something that is in the air for you? Physical decline? Yeah, I would agree with what you said. I, I think that it's not also it's not just a question of political um, sclerosis and, and division. It's also a, a, a sort of deeper um, question of, of, you know, America used to pride itself on sort of embracing the new and you know, technologically speaking and being a very sort of practical republic rather than um, whereas Europe was busy sort of rowing with itself about about history or whatever. Um, and now you have the opposite and, 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 and you have, you know, you have the American left, for example, looking at uh, various European countries with envy because they have a, 
healthcare system they would like or whatever. I mean, without going into the merits of that debate, it's just a sort of rather uninspiring way of thinking about the possibilities of America to think like, which of these European countries would I most like to be like, like my country to be to be like? Um, so no, I, I, I agree. Thank you, Jim, as well. And the other thing that's declined on the cultural side is the old-fashioned bourgeois values of capitalism. Mm. Uh, this is going to make me sound like a maiden aunt, um, but really, American culture is is kind of disgusting. I mean, really, it's 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 just unpleasant. It, it's yeah. I don't just mean it's it's oversexed or anything like that. I mean, it's foul-mouthed. It's mean-spirited. It's abusive. I, I'm talking about American TV and American yeah. movies. There's been now, I think now, but not always. No, if yeah. you went back, no, again, if you went back to the 1990s or, or the, the last embers of the 1980s, mm-hmm. which of course things like Stranger Th- uh, Things are sort of played upon because they have this sense of nostalgia for a, a, the last era of family values. If you had an image in your mind of what an American family was, it was mum, dad, apple pie, white picket fence, kids. It was incredibly wholesome and it was a very old fashioned 19th century Protestant idea of capitalist uh, decency and dignity. Culturally, that's gone. I'm just really struck by how trashy, how really in the trash, not just a uh, uh, creative culture, but news is. News in America is appalling. Oh, the there. music's awful. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, I'm very glad that I live over here right now at this time of the election because I, I think um, it's, it's just it's, it's so unpleasant to be around because if you don't wear a mask or if you wear a mask, it's a sign of your politics. Everyone is uh, getting in your face. You can't put a lawn sign out. There's nothing to talk about. I talk to my family in America because they vote Democrat, like as if there's no U.S. election going on at all. It's very bizarre <laughs> because it consumes my almost every waking moment at, yeah, the, at the time. And and I, I just, I, I, what you find is, and I think this is... Um, this this cultural um, just cesspool is, you know, had been going on for fifty years with people's loss of, of of their religion or shared morality, really, and this idea of um, everybody believes in the Ten Commandments or God or or everyone had the same sense of what was right and wrong mm. on left and right on Sorry. left and yeah. right until the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s, and then each decade, it's just, I feel like it's gone, gone down. And so my, my conservative friends are now putting their kids in Christian schools and religious ed schools where they would normally have been in a state school, right? And so that separates the gap, and so then you don't end up knowing anybody who's on the opposite side, yes, because yeah. now you're raising your children in a, in a bubble so that your values then get passed yes. on because the culture is so yes, poisonous. Exactly. And Trump is a product of this trash culture. He's the yes, trash president yes, of the trash yes. culture. And the irony is yes. that middle class conservatives and religious people are voting for him to mm. protest trash culture. They're voting for a dumpster fire to protest a dumpster fire. But I think yeah, I'm that person. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I have to say, just, I, would, I wouldn't disagree with a lot of what you're saying, but I, I just don't think this is just an American thing. I mean, I think that much of, I'm afraid, much of British culture is actually quite trashy now. Mm. And I think what it is is that we're just in, in an era of cultural exhaustion. You know, when you go back to the mid-century, last century, Amer- you know, popular American culture was just, you know, a jewel in yeah. the cultural oh, crown. Yeah. Yeah. A jewel yeah. in yeah. the cultural crown. But yeah. that's sort of gone. But it's not like we're doing very much better here in Europe. Um, can I just ask as well, you know, to, you know, become Mystic Meg for a while? Um, we're going to know very soon. But um, what do you think, Ray? Supposing Trump wins again on Tuesday, what, what do you think is going to 
happen? Well, I'm more concerned about what won't happen. I mean, we're going to get more of the same if Trump is, is in power. Yeah. The infrastructure issue that you raised before is a very, very relevant one because I think that's one of the great you know, problems of the last four years that he didn't address a lot of those things, mm -hmm. things like infrastructure. So I don't hope that that would become part of the next, next four years. But I'm more concerned about a democratic victory because of what that would entail. Would it entail stacking the Supreme Court um, to basically enlarge it beyond, beyond the nine? Would it, would it entail making Puerto Rico and D.C. states and therefore, you know, in, enlarging the Electoral College? Would it be an end to the filibuster? All of these things that would make Republicans unelectable for a generation or more if that comes into play. Mm -hmm. That's why I think this is a really decisive and important election and why mm -hmm. Trump needs to win because the, the alternative, if it doesn't happen, and also, again, th again the culture wars, if you think um, of the Democratic Party today, it is unrecognizable compared to how it was even four years ago under Hillary Clinton. This is not the Democratic mm -hmm. Party that of Obama or of Hillary Clinton's time. This is a brand new thing. It only has the, uh, the, the, veneer, the thin veneer of rice paper of, of Joe Biden shielding the reality, and, and that's why I think <laughs> this, this, the victory for Trump is, is so important, albeit one that I think is increasingly unlikely. So, in other words, it's not unlike the Labour Party uh, with momentum. It, it's become a bit like that, the Democratic Party, hasn't it, in America? Uh, in, term, in terms of the culture wars, I'd say it's, I'd say it's worse. Um, yeah. Um, what about the idea that, I, you know, I've heard from friends who are living in America, or in fact have just left America, that they fear extraordinary civil unrest yeah. and convulsion. Supposing, Tom Kiss, there is this idea too, isn't there as well, of just simply delegitimizing election results, you know, just simply not accepting them. I mean, so do you think that there will, if, if Trump wins again, do you think people are just going to be, these people we've been seeing, you know, in the streets, will they just simply, just simply lose it and start burning things down? That's really interesting because I've, I've had this conversation with many of my friends. I, I'm actually really concerned for the country, again, on a cultural perspective, because those who could not handle the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg or that Trump won the first time and were screaming in the street, I mean, what kind of nervous breakdown are they going to have this time? Mm -hmm. um, will there be suicides? Will someone just go whack-a-doodle and commit mass murder? Will there be arson? You think Antifa's bad now or Black Lives Matter's bad now? Wait till, mm -hmm. you know, they, they lose, if they lose. Um, and I, I'm not saying there aren't factions on the right that will come out and, you know, say that Trump's really their victor and Biden cheated and da-da-da-da-da. Um, I think when you have so many people doing postal voting, the chances for cheating and voter fraud increase. Um, and also in such a close election, my hope is that it is a very decisive election quickly um, so that neither side can, can really do this. But I suspect there will be court challenges. Pennsylvania has just now allowed, and it's been supported by the Supreme Court, to extend accepting absentee ballots till Friday, but they need to be postmarked by Tuesday, Election Day. So we, Pennsylvania is a key state for the president to win, and we may not know about that until Saturday. Right. Um, so, and I do know that retail... I mean, think how much they were disrupted and looted and rioted um, over the summer. They are now putting up, um, they have whole security plans in place for after the election. And I have friends who are leaving New York City um, during, during the weeks following. So, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a grave concern. And we've never had this. No, no, no. Um, Ollie, it, it's right, isn't it, that 
both parties have been getting their various attorneys in line to to start the kind of process of challenging the result. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, the way I see the, the post-election kind of potential nightmare is a two-part thing. Part one is um, actually quite conventional and nothing, which is both parties hire top lawyers and duke it out in the courts to decide who wins the election. We had that in 2000 and, and, and you know, a grown-up republic should be able to handle that. And then there's the kind of stressful bit, in my view, which is the, the layer of possible um, and kind of refusal to accept the result, which, uh, as, as, as you guys are saying, is, is a sort of point of bipartisan agreement. You know, there, are, there are people on the left and people on the right that will, you know, there will be a legitimacy problem um, in their eyes. Uh, and I should add, the president doesn't help things by um, by saying some quite irresponsible stuff about what he'll do in, in terms of the results and whether he'll leave and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, so yeah, and no, I think it's it's it, it, there's reason to be somewhat worried about what happens in the in a sort of close close um, close result. Do you think, uh, uh, Tim, you know, we're being a little bit too. Um you know, full of dread about that, or do you think there is a chance of? Yeah, I, I think we possibly are. Mm. Uh, partly because a lot of voters have probably decided to give Biden a landslide precisely to avoid this scenario. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one theory going around why he's so far ahead in the polls. Some of those polls really are very troubling for Biden. And if we end up with a blue wave, then really this could all be over in a couple of days. Yeah. It'll take some time to be absolutely clear about because we're relying upon mail ballots this time, not just people voting on the day. And it's suspected that Trump will get a big boost on the day because his voters are more inclined to go out and vote rather than vote by mail. But if Biden does do very well, then a, a lot of this nightmare does go away. And let's not forget that a lot of the problems are stoked by Trump himself and by his own rhetoric on legitimacy and whether or not elections are fair and if there's fraud going on. It's not as if it's just the left doing these things. And also don't forget that America has been through much, much worse before. I'm not, I know that's a very, that's, that's a bizarre standard to set. Don't worry, because there was once a war in the 1860s and no one wants to be that bad again. But the point is that the, the thing about America is it, it's constantly being written off and then it bounces back. Mm -hmm. And it, it usually bounces back through a combination of economic uh, reinvention. It's very good at adaptation to technology. It's very good at absorbing people from, out, from uh, other countries and those people sort of buy into its belief systems and contribute to it. But also it has had a series of religious awakenings, a cultural counter-revolutions. Uh, and it's, it's always possible that America could go through that again. I, I, I really wouldn't write this off. I, I, I don't see this thing descending into civil war. I'm more concerned, as I said before, by a, a long-term sense of atrophy, atrophy yeah. and mm. the inability to get anything done. Mm. I think, as you uh, rightly point out there, the, the 1970s did actually then become the 1980s, didn't exactly. it? Exactly, yes. Uh, so maybe, maybe that will happen. But look... Thank you very, very much. We will know all too soon, either way. Uh, thank you very much, Oliver. Thanks so much, Tim, Sarah and Rafe. And uh, thank you for watching. Uh, we will see you next time. Um, there might be a new president. Uh, but anyway, in the meantime, please do subscribe. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you.